Greetings and welcome to HPNA's Podcast Corner, your place for hospice and palliative nursing continual learning. I'm your host, Julie Tanner, Certified Hospice and Palliative Care Registered Nurse and Manager of Nursing Education for HPNA. Thank you for joining today's education. Thank you for joining us today for HPNA's Podcast Corner as we welcome Jinder Marshall, our Chief Executive Officer of HPNA, HPNF, and HPCC. Ginger shares with us today her journey into caring for patients and families with serious illness, beginning with her early career as a certified nursing assistant to a senior advanced practice nurse executive leader today. Ginger reflects on the importance of mentors throughout her career and also shares aspects that she's found most enjoyable as well as those that are most difficult in working in palliative care. So welcome, Ginger, and thank you for joining today. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for inviting me um, on the session. I've been looking forward to this. So I've been a nurse for 37 years. I started out as a nursing assistant, uh, went to University of Maryland, where I got my BSN and passed my licensure exam for RN. Was an RN for 17 years and then decided it was time to go back to school. University of Pennsylvania for um, my MSN and I got uh, certified as a acute care nurse practitioner and I've been a nurse practitioner for 20 years now. My nursing career spanned time in the bedside from a med surge unit, University of Maryland, in the intensive care unit. I did travel nursing for seven years, had a great time with that. Spent a lot of winters in Florida, um, lots of trips down to Key West for vacations. But during that time period, I actually had um, a pull to go back to school, which is why I ended up going back for my MSM. When I graduated, I worked at Duke for five years in cardiology and then um, found my second calling in palliative care. I consider nursing to be my first calling. Quite a 37-year quite a career history with, um, with your education, both your clinical experience. So what led you, Ginger, into the, the specialty of hospice and palliative care? Well, my husband and I were living in Raleigh at the time when, we, when I was working at Duke. And he got transferred to a job in Charlotte. And we were out an outdoor cafe in Charlotte. And I'm looking through the newspaper, turning the pages. And my husband, the words just came out of his mouth. You never find a job in the newspaper anymore. It's all about networking. And I turned the page. And Hospice Palliative Care Charlotte Region had an ad for a palliative care nurse practitioner. And I turned to my husband. And again, this was... Oh, 15 years ago, I said, what's palliative care? So I needed to do some homework, uh, did a little bit of research, um, interviewed for the job, and fell in love with it. I recall in an interview, Ginger, with you earlier in the year where you had referenced the importance of mentors in nursing. And I recall your quote during that interview was that you, you said that I feel extremely fortunate for the mentoring I received early on in my career. This mentoring contributed to my professional growth, which in turn allowed me to pay it forward by mentoring others. And I think that's such a beautiful quote for all of us to, 
to listen to and to, to appreciate. And I wanted to see if you would please share with us some of the benefits of mentoring you see in our profession of nursing today. So you're absolutely right, Julie. I am, I consider myself extremely fortunate. I have received mentoring from Gladys French, who was a nursing assistant at University of Maryland. She taught me the importance of listening to patients. Judy Christie, who's a registered nurse, uh, who really took me under her wing as I was fresh out of school and taught me the importance of accurate documentation, um, making sure that you have um, a plan for the day, making sure that the patients are receiving excellent care. Through my time at Hospice Palliative Care Charlotte Region and Atrium Health, I had the good fortune of being mentored by John Barkley, a phenomenal uh, physician who um, really taught me a lot about the specialty of palliative care. And then Paula Larson, who's a social worker, phenomenal social worker, who really taught me about running family meetings. And then from the, in my involvement on the national level with palliative care leadership, that was introduced to me by Dr. Patricia Berry. I feel that at each point of my career, I've had the good fortune of receiving mentoring education and the friendships of everybody who I just mentioned. And each one of those experiences has prepared me for the next step in my career. So for me, mentoring, it can be done formally, it can be done informally. I've personally benefited from informal mentoring. And that's when I meet somebody. If I feel that, if I'm impressed, if I want to know more about how they handle things, I am not shy about calling people, um, emailing people, sending letters to people, asking them specific questions about how they got to where they are in their career and asking for specific advice. Thank you, Ginger. That was, that's a lot of people and I'm sure it'll be an honor for those that if they hear this and when they hear this to know that you've recognized them to be where you are today as well. So as far as specific aspects of hospice and palliative care, what components do you enjoy the most? So um, it's, uh, it's interesting. I'm sure it's happened to many of us. Uh, where you um, go out to dinner with friends and uh, somebody you may be meeting for the first time and they ask, what do you do? And I explain what I do. And the first question is usually, isn't that sad? And um, it is sad. There's because everything that we do in both hospice and palliative care usually involves a loss. And it may not be a loss of life. It may be a loss of a function or a loss of a role. But because you're dealing with that loss, it is sad. But what gets me emotional and what can bring me to tears at times is the unbelievable privilege that we are granted by patients and their families that they allow us in to bear witness to their situation, to their circumstance, to what they're going through, and that they open up enough to be receptive to the conversations that we are having with them. So if you follow that train of thought, what have you found to be the most difficult aspects of your palliative care career? So I'm gonna 
I'm going to answer that in two ways. Uh, the first one that's been difficult or challenging or perhaps frustrating is the misconceptions about what both hospice and palliative care is. Um, usually those misconceptions come from, for me in my career, it's been more from the referral base than it has actually from patients and families. So there may be some misconceptions. Um, so for example, I would be walking down the hall in the hospital and I, uh, an attending physician would see me and I could see him or her mentally going through that list of patients they have in their head and they pull out their report sheet and they said, Ginger, I have a couple people that I want you to see. And I would say, okay, um, by the way, one of the nurses on the unit mentioned that you may be asking me to see Mr. Jones, we'll say his patient's name. And that provider would say, and put his hand out as if he's giving me a stop sign. Oh no, they're not ready for you yet. So that of course led me the wonderful opportunity to talk about mine for a little bit of conflict with this person. What do you mean they're not ready for me yet? Are they not ready for me? Or are you not ready for me to speak to them yet? Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. we're still dealing with, with that. Um, but again, I, I haven't seen it as much. Most of the times when I talk to um, patients or their families about palliative care, they don't know what it is. So that gives me an opportunity to explain what it is. When I talk to patients and families about hospice, I always give them information as if they don't know anything at all about them because I feel that I can describe the services and benefits of hospice versus just assuming they understand mm -hmm. what's going on. So the second part, um, I, I had challenges dealing with um, in the early part of my career when I started um, as a palliative care consultant, where I would um, walk out of patients' family meetings or meetings with patients or their families. And I would be so frustrated because I didn't feel like, I'll use the quote, that they got it. And mm -hmm. I felt like I was doing something wrong. I wasn't explaining it correctly. How could they be choosing this course of option when, from my point of view, um, it was not the most appropriate option that they should be choosing? And I remember I was in an encounter with a patient and a family, and I had laid out all the information. I asked what their understanding was. I gave them the medical background. I did the teaching. I asked them to describe what this patient's life was like prior to the serious illness they were in, currently encountering. And I asked if they could get out of the bed and join us at the meeting, what would they say they would want? So I went through all of the steps that I usually employ in a meeting. And afterwards, the family said, okay, well, I made some advice about the care that I felt was most medically appropriate for them. And the family decided to not take that advice, but to go in a different direction. And after the meeting, I went out and I actually called uh, one of my mentors on the phone I mentioned earlier, Dr. John Barkley. And I said, John, I don't understand it. I feel like I, I did a disservice. I feel like I did something wrong. This is what I said. These are the steps I went through. And he interrupted me and he said, what is your role? What is your role when you talk to patients and families? 
and it made me stop and think. And I said, it's to make sure they have the information to make informed choices. And he said, did you do that? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, you're done. And Julie, that was such a sense of relief for me that I was able to let it go. I carried that experience forward. It made my job and my role so much easier that they don't have to, un they don't have to accept or they don't have to, I'll, I'll reword that. They don't have to take the advice that I'm giving, but it's my responsibility to make sure they have the information so they can make the choices. Ginger, that just, that's such a beautiful message right there. And that, that one component of answering this question is what is our role and have we met that, that role? And I can see how that, that would have taken you forward throughout your career. And hopefully our listeners that are listening will, will gain that same insight. It's, it's a powerful statement, Ginger. Really powerful. Thank you. So what's the most difficult question you've ever been asked by a patient or a family member and how did you respond to it? So I'm going to answer that with another story. Um, I, um, I call these connect to purpose stories. And this story happened when I was seeing a patient at a large medical center. I had been consulted. Uh, this patient had metastatic disease, cancer. And I had been consulted to assist with discussions of treatment goals and pain management. So as I was sitting out at the nurse's desk reviewing the patient's chart, which this was back in the days of paper charts, so it was mm -hmm. a pretty big chart. I and, remember those. Yes. <laughs> and as I was sitting there, I saw um, three separate teams go into the patient's room. I was sitting right at the desk close to where the patient's, the door was to the patient's room. So the first uh, set was the hospitalist group who went in um, and there was about six or seven of them. Of course, it was the attending physician with the resident um, and the medical students. And then after they came and left, the next set of team that went in was the oncologist and his medical team went in. And about 45 minutes later, uh, they left, and then the cardiology team went in and met with the uh, patient. So um, I went into the room, and one of the first things I did was, of course, I introduced myself and said, I'm Ginger Marshall, I'm an advanced practice nurse, and I am from the palliative care and I stopped because she put her hand out in front of me and said, not another word. You're not allowed to say another word. So I stopped and I tried to not swallow so she could see my Adam's apple go up and down because I was a little nervous at that point. But what she followed with was, I have a question for you and I'm going to ask you the question that asks the same question. I asked this the same, the same thing of the last three teams that came in to see me. And I don't, I don't care what other, any other information you have for me, you have to answer this question first. I said, okay, I'm ready. And I sat down, pulled up a chair, sat down at the side of her bed. She was actually sitting on the side of her bed. So we were at perpendicular angles very close with each other and she said am I going to die 
and I waited and I took a breath and I said, if your disease runs its natural course, your life expectancy is most likely less than six months. And Julie, she leaned over, she put her head down on my shoulder and she whispered, thank you. Oh, Ginger. So that was one of the most rewarding moments that I've had in my career, that I was able to um, have an impact on what she needed to know. And even though I'm sure that information was very hard for her to hear, I can't imagine the frustration she must have felt by asking that question and not getting an answer. Absolutely. So Ginger, hearing you tell this, this story with a purpose, how do you manage the resiliency to keep showing up? So it's, to keep having those questions. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. <laughs> what I have always done is relied on my interdisciplinary team, the team that I've been able to be part of at every organization where I've worked. So, for example, um, at the end of that experience, I contacted the social worker on our team and I said, I have to debrief on this. Can you give me a few minutes? I contacted a nurse practitioner on a team who is, um, her name is Nikki Kessel. Nikki's a national leader in palliative care and we were able to work together. I had the privilege of working with her. We were on the same team. And I just said, Nikki, this was a very emotional experience for me. I just need to talk it through. And then I also brought it up at team meeting at the end of the week. So I think it's extremely important to rely on the team, not just on the times when you're struggling, but I think it's also really important that when you have a really good day, when you ace a family meeting, when you finally get someone's pain under control, whether you're working in palliative care or hospice, those are times to celebrate. And that's where I will also reach out to team members and say, I've just got to tell you, I had this fantastic family meeting, or I finally got this patient's pain under control, or Mr. Jones finally had a bowel movement today. Right, celebrate. Yes, so those are the things that we celebrate. So for me, in my experience, it's always been turning to my team to have them help me celebrate uh, when things go well and to help me deal with things when things don't go so well. So do you have a particular patient or family that, that stands out in addition to the story that you just told us about the lady that asked you the question about whether or not she was going to die? Is there another story that you would like to, to share with us that's always stood out in your career? There is. So there is, um, this is when I was uh, at another large um, academic medical center, and we would occasionally receive consults from the outpatient clinic from the hospitalist group, um, which is where palliative care lived within that department at the, at the hospital. And I received a request to see an elderly gentleman with advanced cancer, and um, we were having a slow clinic day or a slow inpatient day um, with referrals, which mm -hmm. was unusual. But I went into the clinic and I sat down and I started um, the encounter the same way I start every encounter. 
I introduced myself, I reviewed the goals of the meeting, I explained what palliative care is, and then I asked him, share with me what you understand about what's going on with your body, about your health. Tell me what your, what your journey has been like. So he started talking, and two hours later, he stopped talking. So wow. I was in a clinic room with he and his son for two hours. And when I just knew in this specific case, because that's unusual, but I knew he needed to tell a story. And one of the last things he shared with me was I was the fourth provider he had seen that day. And he had been at the hospital for two and a half hours prior to our encounter. So what I did was I said, this was really helpful receiving that information. I'm going to give you a little bit of information I found out about re reviewing your chart. So I gave him the updated CAT scan results and I gave him the updated results of his hemoglobin and his hematocrit. And he stopped and he said, if you knew all about this already because you've reviewed my chart, why did you let me go on? And he paused and he said, is it because you knew I needed to tell my story? And I said, yes, wow. that's it exactly. So after that encounter, um, what I did was we talked about his pain was fairly well controlled. We uh, did some tweaking with that as well as with um, um, his bowel regimen. And then I saw him again in two weeks at another clinic appointment. We talked a little bit more about treatment goals. After that time, he began to have multiple hospitalizations for urinary tract infections and for pneumonias. And I saw him with every admission. And whether most of those admissions I was consulted on, there was one where the attending uh, didn't feel that he needed to consult palliative care for the care of the patient. So I actually waited till I was after hours um, at the end of the day and went in and explained to him that um, I wouldn't be seeing him officially as a consultant, but I just wanted to check in to see how he was doing. During the last hospital admission he had, I went by at the end of the day, it was about 6.30, sat down at his bedside, asked how he was feeling, asked how things were going. And he said, Ginger, I've decided it's time for me to go to hospice. I've accomplished what I needed to accomplish, but this is, the timing is right. I met with a representative today. Um, I know they're gonna give me great care. He said, but since this is the last time I'll be in the hospital, I want to share something with you. He said, Ginger, I have been involved as an academic educator for years. And I have met many people and encountered many people. And some of these people had more education than you and a lot of the physicians who I've been working with, in addition to the education I've been providing, they too have had more education than you and some of them are smarter than you. And Julie, I was pausing because I was thinking to myself, I'm not sure I like where this is going. <laughs> where is this going, right. Yes. right. But then he said, but Ginger, regardless of the levels of education, the different roles, the different providers, I have to tell you that you and your team, you are the true healers. And that still gives me goosebumps today. And 
it stuck with me for so many years because hospice and palliative care be looked at differently by people who don't understand the specialty. But the fact that he got it and the fact that he shared that compliment with me, I have, um, it's the most, it was the proudest moment of my nursing career. Um, and we were fortunate enough, um, I was fortunate enough to um, be able to work closely with the hospice he went home with. They gave me excellent updates he, um, on, on his care. And I stayed close with both he and his family. Um, I will share with you that as I look back in my nursing education and I'm using air quotes here, the importance mm -hmm. of boundaries, I uh, threw those out the window and I followed him at home and saw him about once every two weeks until he died to just check in on he and his wife. So it was a uh, wonderful um, relationship I had with both he and his family. Very grateful for that. Um, we were very fortunate at the hospital. I had authored a grant to establish three comfort care suites and a nursing education program. And his family came and were speakers at that dedication at the hospital. So, um, yeah, that was, that, that's one of my most, uh, the stories that I hold dearest in my heart. It's such a privilege to hear them, hear the story. I mean, to to live it through through your recollection of it. I mean, the, the statement about you're the true healers. Um, that'll be a quote that I'll hold on to for, for the rest of my conversations. And because yeah. it is true, we are the the true healers. And to be recognized as such from a patient is, I can see how that is, is something that you will hold dear forever. So with that note, do you, what do you see as far as the vision for uh, hospice and palliative nursing? So I'm going to speak about my personal vision and my personal vision for our specialty of hospice and palliative nursing is that the specialty will continue to grow in the delivery of evidence-based care that nurses both with inside and outside of our specialty will continue to strive to learn as much as they can about the care of patients with serious and terminal illnesses, and that consumers will grow to expect that the treatments and care that they are being offered should be concordant with their own goals. Mm -hmm. Do you see us making improvements in that? And you talk about organizations such as HPNA and any type of membership organization. What contributions do you see that we play in that, Ginger? I do. I see um, membership organizations, our membership organization, our um, certification organization, our foundation. I see all of us working together, all three organizations, being able to achieve these visions both from the high quality and I know I'm biased here but what I consider to be the very high quality of education that we are offering the fact that we have over 18,000 certificates in the specialty of hospice and palliative nursing and that we have been fortunate enough to receive some 
excuse me, to receive excellent support from our donors and from our corporate sponsors and our employer partners. All of these things, it takes a village. It takes all of us working mm -hmm. together in order to achieve these things. I am, am proud to say that the work that each one of us are doing are making a difference in being able to continue to push for the evidence-based care we're providing, as well as to make sure that we have different types of venues of education because everyone learns in different ways. So Ginger, listening to you say this, I remember the first time that I actually watched you, you were, I believe you were, you were in DC, Washington DC, doing a presentation to, remember, Senate Finance Committee? So it was, it was either the Senate Finance Committee or it may have been on uh, the American, um, we did the, um, a presentation the on healthcare literacy. Palliative the care literacy. Medicine. Yeah, yes, the Institute of Medicine. Institute of Medicine. Medicine. Yes, that was it. I remember watching you on the screen, and 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 this would have been probably 2015, 2016. That's right. Thinking, okay, here's the president of HPNA sitting up there, and I believe it was the Senate's Finance Committee. But I thought at that moment in time, this is a voice of nursing that's sitting on the stage. And listening to this voice of nursing, which was your voice, Ginger, to say about the importance of having this connection between it's about what the patient family goals are, and thinking at that point in time that this is what it is that we're doing. We are trying to get this message out there. Yeah. And here we are five years later, maybe four years later, and we're, we're, we're still pushing the same missions, this, this concordant care, this, you know, that, that we can make a difference if we will just listen to our patients. They'll tell us what they want. And that was a beautiful vision for me to see you in that, that environment. So, so, so Julie, I'm going to be very transparent with you at this moment. When you saw me at that, at that environment, I was initially standing behind a podium, and then I sat down for a panel discussion. Mm -hmm. When I was standing behind the podium, I had to lean down and put my hand on my knee because my legs were shaking so bad <laughs> because I was so nervous. I'm, I'm glad to know that my message still got across. And oh, your message got across. It got across beautifully. I mean, yeah. it was... It was pretty, it was one of those impressive moments of a nursing career to see a colleague in that, in that environment. It, it'll always be in my mind. Well, and and what you know now, Ginger, yep. what kind of advice would you give your early career self about embarking on this specialty of hospice and palliative nursing? So I'm going to share with you what has worked well for me. And regarding my clinical growth, what worked extremely well for me was I always made sure that both at home and in the um, office um, that I shared at all of my places of employment, that I kept resources available to me. And these are resources that I could go to to look things up 
because what I found is if I, uh, the first time I cared for a patient with multiple myeloma and I knew the basics, but I needed to know more information. At the end of the day, I went and I poured, pulled out a couple of reference books that um, I had access to on oncology um, uh, clinical scenarios and was able to learn more about it. That information I pulled out, I kept tied to the patient who I saw that day, and that's what helped me remember it. It has helped me so much in my clinical career that anytime I didn't know something, anytime I needed more information, not only did it help me to, with my knowledge base, it helped me to be a better provider because then I could pass that information on to patients and families. So I always had, uh, um, and, and this is a little bit self-serving, so I want to be careful, uh, but this is the truth. I always had uh, an HPNA core curriculum, and I always had the Oxford textbook of palliative nursing mm -hmm. um, accessible where I could get to those and be able to, again, um, help me to deliver better care. Second piece of it is... Um, this is regarding professional growth and leadership growth. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, I've been extremely fortunate with mentors. And when I have a problem now, or I have a situation now, or a challenge, what I do is, in my mind, I mentally go through, who is the best person for me to reach out to with this? And I will call a friend, a colleague, a mentor, and ask them, or I'll send them a text, hey, can you give me five minutes this evening? I've got something I'm struggling with and I would love your advice. I probably do that at least once a week or a few times a month. Mm -hmm. It helps immensely because I go to different people for different things because, again, I've just been so lucky to have mentors in so many different aspects, aspects of, of um, um, nursing leadership. And in addition to that, the other piece of advice for professional growth is get involved with our membership organization or with our certification organization or with any membership organization, nursing organization that you belong to. I started because Pat Berry on the national level, I got involved on the national level because Pat Berry said, you really need to join an EDC. And by the way, at the annual assembly, let's walk through the poster sessions for the reception on the first night, I want to introduce you to a few people. By the end of that night, I had been, quote unquote, volunteered to review <laughs> a chapter to serve on a committee. Um, it Again, it helped me to, I was through that volunteer experience, I was exposed to national leaders. I sat on an mm -hmm. exam development committee with Pat Coyne. I worked with Connie Dolan on reviewing chapters. Mm -hmm. um, without a doubt, it is an unbelievable privilege for me to serve as the CEO of these organizations. And without the mentoring, and the leadership experiences I had from my volunteer experiences with all of these organizations, I would not be here today. That's beautiful. So with the... Um uh, the next thread or the next question, I really would appreciate if you would be willing to share with us your favorite quote and why you find it inspiring. So it's a quote from Nelson Mandela, 
and it actually goes back to a little bit, gives an example of the story I talked where my knees were shaking during the presentation. Mm -hmm. So the quote is, courage is not the absence of fear. I have a sticky note of that on my computer. I carry that with me. I also um, similarly like um, speak your mind even if your voice shakes. And that's by Maggie Kuhn. Both of these really tie into the same message. Um, given so our involvement. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is, is not the absence of fear by Nelson Mandela. And then speak your mind even if your voice shakes. Shakes, that's correct. Yep. We'll have to add those to the session so that people can. We'll put some references up on the website for this session so people can find them as well. Well, Ginger, is there anything that we've missed or that you would like to, to share with our listeners? The only other thing is, yep, I would, um, I'd like to share uh, with both you and Taylor, who is helping with this production, um, how fortunate I feel to be able to work with such a strong team at the national office. Uh, as I said earlier, it takes a village and I am extremely grateful for the villagers who uh, work so hard and diligently behind the scenes to produce what we do for our certificates, for our members, for our employer partners, and for our donors. Um, it is, um, it's a privilege and I am grateful for it. Thank you, Ginger. And we appreciate you joining us today and sharing with us not only your clinical stories, but also your leadership experiences through your career, as well as where you can find, you know, resources and support for future and, and up and coming palliative nurses. It's always a privilege. And to our listeners, thank y'all for joining today. And we look forward to uh, the next podcast episode. We'll have handouts available to you through the link on our website. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Julie. Thank you, Ginger. Did you know HPNA offers volume discounts on certification exams and HPNA memberships? The Employer Partner Program was established to partner with employers to support your nursing care teams through education and training. To learn more about the Employer Partner Program and find out if your organization qualifies for volume discounts, visit advancingexpertcare.org backslash employer-partner. Thank you.